for those that have been tracking with us over the last few weeks, we started a series called Defining the Relationship. Uh, in the first week, we got, we got to address singleness. Uh, last week, we got to talk about friendship. And this week, we get to talk about marriage. Uh, and so one of the things that we wanted to use or do during this particular series is give an exposure and bring everyone into cultural conversations that are happening around these particular issues. And so today we're going to start uh, by first setting up a video for y'all, uh, not as a promotion by any means of what we believe about marriage or anything like that, but more as an opportunity to draw everyone in and be on the same page of these are the conversations that are taking place in our society. And we believe as a church it's important for us to hear the conversation and bring the Bible um, and make it relevant to what God actually has to say about these particular things. So as you see this video that we're about to play, please, you may see some people up there that you feel a certain type of way about. You may hear some things that may be a little bit triggering. But again, we're not promoting this by any means. We're just bringing an overall, uh, bringing us, the entire church into an overall conversation um, that prepares us for yeah, hearing from God. Amen. All right. What are some of the frustrations that women seem to express with communication? <laughs> uh, men being withdrawn, uh, men being dismissive, mm. men not actively listening. Um, mm. But I also have to give women to understand you cannot expect to hold the floor for 20, 30, 40 minutes mm -hmm. about something you have going on and expect him to be able to hold that attention mm. because a man's brain is not created like that. And be you know specific on the words, say less but mean more. Mm. We can't okay. come in and expect to gossip about our everyday life. Now, however, what we can say, what I do say is that, well, what I do see is that women do complain that the men don't listen at all. They're very dismissive in the conversation or the problem solving, as always, but mm. that's what how men naturally are. You have to be able to be verbal about that, vocalize that need. I just need you to listen. I just, I just need to vent. I don't need you to solve the problem because in a man's mind, it's going to turn on. What is the number one reason why women break up with men today? And you hear a lot of them, they say, I got bored. We fell out of love, it wasn't compatible. So if you're going to get rid of a relationship because of boredom, then you can't be married. And I think many women today, right, wrong, or indifferent, know that they don't have what it takes to go 20, 30, 40, 30, 40, 50 years. So now it's like, well, what's the alternative? It ain't gonna be a wife. Many women like the notion of being a side chick. Why? Because they get to sit, they get to be with the kind of man they want, get to do all the fun stuff with them, and then another woman has to do all the maintenance of him. Been married to Juliet for 24 years on May 1st, and that girl is like she could have ran from me. I gave her a lot to run from, <laughs> yeah. and it's not one-sided. Yeah, she gave me some stuff to run from too. Yeah. But you got to be committed to the vows you make. Now, I'm not talking about somebody that don't want to do the work. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. I'm not talking about you telling Abby for a decade straight. I looked at porn. 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 You know what I mean? Yeah. yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. Okay. Nah, fam. <laughs> yeah. Right, right. Yeah. I'm going to hug you the first time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Absolutely. <laughs> Bro, brother, he going to catch his hands. You keep <laughs> But I ain't hugging you 10 <laughs> times in a row, fool. Give me your phone. <laughs> so changes have to yeah, be made. Absolutely. But people got to know that you're going to be with them while they're changing. Mm, yeah. yeah. Are you going to be here while I'm changing? Yeah. 
while I'm growing, while I'm, you know, figuring things out. Yeah. Yeah. And and that's a huge that's a huge thing for relationships, not just yeah. maritally, but no, relationally. Yeah. Absolutely. I want to get married. You just start hearing it less and less. Like before that was a goal. Like mm -hmm. before social media and just the way people interact now. I'm not in conversations with people who are talking about like I can't wait to meet someone and get married. Now people say, "Yeah, I want to meet somebody, be in a relationship, you know, have this bond, but I don't need the marriage piece to feel mm -hmm. like it's successful." Mm -hmm. And most, I'm not saying all, be careful with my words. Most married people that I know are miserable Whoa. and not happy and don't want to be married they would prefer to be single and what's happening is people look at the stats and they say oh well divorce rates are going down but the issue is less people are getting married people don't want to get married now, how do you get to year 20 and want to call it quits and that was initiated by you it's interesting because in today's day and age 80 to 85 percent of divorces are initiated by women it's interesting that you wanted to do that 31 years ago so what did you face 31 years ago where you said i'm done she she faced my complacency <laughs> like this is cool i don't need to work anymore at loving her i don't want to work I don't need to work anymore at making her feel important. I don't need to work anymore at making her feel respected. I, I don't, she, she has desires and visions and dreams, uh, but I don't have to be concerned about that because she's there every day. Mm. And so it reached the perfect storm. And when she finally said, I've had enough. See, people have to, you have to understand that we change. And so she had studied in Europe, studied in, in France, in Paris, France, and and so she's now, okay, I've been exposed to some things, and uh, I got I got some things I want to make happen. Oh, girl, don't worry about that. It kept on moving. And pretty soon it got to a place like, you're not hearing me. You're not paying any attention to me. Uh, and I'm unfulfilled. I'm unappreciated. Mm. I'm disrespected. So let me get out of this. And, and so that's what happens. Uh, it happens at different times in marriage. Yeah. What are some of the... Y'all should clap. Y'all should. <laughs> how, we, how do you end that? These, these transitions are so interesting uh, for me, you know. And I know that was a lot to take in, y'all. Amen. There was not, you know, I, you know, I cringed at some parts, and I hope you did as well. Um, some of that was very cringeworthy. Um, if you don't know me, I'm Mo. I'm one of the pastors here at Cornerstone Church. And, man, I'm excited to see you guys' faces. Again, if you're a guest, we are happy to have you here with us. Um, today, um, it, it was a little different, a little bit, you know, disjoining, maybe a little discombobulated for a little people, but I want you to know that we are grateful for you to be here. And one of the things that we wanted to do with this video was try to invite you into this conversation that's happening, probably happening in your head, probably happening in your heart, probably happening with your neighbors, probably happening with your friends, your family, people you know. Some of those people are people that you probably watched their videos before and people you follow, amen? And so, oh, amen, some of y'all. I, that wasn't the first time I heard Kevin Samuels, amen? I've heard what he's had to say before. And so I want y'all to know, uh, we know that there's brokenness and confusion about marriage. We recognize as pastors that, that, that these relationships that we engage in need to be defined through a biblical lens. 
One of the problems of, our, of this day is, because, is that we don't look to the Bible to inform us about these very topics. We go to YouTube, we go to social media, and we go, indulge and we engage in, in a variety of opinions, but the Word of God seems to be dismissed as archaic. And it doesn't inform us on how we should live in this world today. So today that's what I'm going to do. I had a lot of content for you guys. I had about 120 minutes. I, I timed it, amen? And so what I'm saying is I cannot give you everything. This will not be exhaustive. I probably won't even really touch on many of the things that they said in that video. So you're just going to have to live in tension. And that's okay. But this is a conversation starter, isn't it? The church needs to be part of this conversation. We need to lead out in these conversations. They should not be dictated to us. Amen? All right. Amen. That's my disclaimer. I've been married 16 years, going on 17 years, to the most beautiful woman. I don't care what none of y'all men say. My wife defines us. <laughs> and she's going to be mad at me when I say her real name. San Juanita. <laughs> Buck Halter Hafiz. Thank you, baby. And I'm standing here saying as I'm a man who's in process. And as I've studied, I've done a lot of premarital, I've done a lot of marital counseling in this church, I stand here as a man who is almost, as I studied, torn apart because I grieve my own inadequacies. And so as we get into this text, don't, don't look at me like I'm just this expert and I know how to do things right. Look at me as a, a fellow follower of Jesus who just want to follow Jesus and worship Jesus in my marriage. Amen. So let's turn in our Bibles. If you would stand with me, let's turn in my Bibles. Uh, I'm going to read Genesis 2, 18 through 24, and then I'm going to jump to Ephesians 5, 31 through 33. I'm going to touch on these both these texts. Now, you're going to say, how are you going to do that? I don't know. So we're going <laughs> we're gonna to try to get this. But Genesis 2, 18 through 24 says this. It says, then the Lord God said, it is not good for the man to be alone. I will make a helper corresponding to him. And the Lord God formed out of the ground every wild animal and every bird in the sky, of the sky, and brought each to the man to see what he would call it. And whatever the man called it, a living creature, that was its name. The man gave names to all the livestock, to the birds of the sky, to every wild animal. But for the man, no helper was found corresponding to him. So the Lord called, God caused a deep sleep to come over man, and he slept. God took one of his ribs and closed the flesh at that place. Then God, the Lord God made the rib he had taken from the, of the man into a woman and brought her to the man. And the man said, this, is a, this one at last is bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh. This one will be called woman, for she, has, for she was taken from man. And verse 24 says, this is why a man leaves his father and mother and bonds with his wife. And they become one flesh. And jump down to Ephesians 5, 31 through 33. It says, for this reason a man, and it sounds very familiar, doesn't it? For this reason a man will leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. This mystery is profound, but I am talking about Christ in the church. To, su to sum up, each one of you is to love his wife as himself. Wife is to respect her husband. Let's pray. Father, we are thankful for your grace and your glory. You're good to us, God. We recognize that, Lord, uh, we are all inadequate. We are all in process. We are all followers of Jesus, those who have placed their trust and faith in Christ. That is where we are. 
And so, Father, we want to follow your word. We want to live according to your ways, Lord. We can sing songs and we can do things um, like come to churches and services and we can sit. But, Lord, Lord, we, we need to live for you. So, Father, put that in our heart. Allow your Holy Spirit to guide me and guide your church today. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You can be seated. One of the things that's permeating the culture at this time, especially in this day and age, is this, this, this new kind of, I would say, uh, position that people have in life, right? They're called creatives. Now, I, I, I remember when people were just called artists, right? Uh, but I felt like that, you know, they would be like artists, they would be painters, they would be musicians. You would say those were artists, but I, I don't fully think that word captures the diversity of creatives. So what do creatives do? Does anybody know, right? They imagine things and they bring, thing, they bring things to life. See, I love to watch a person who's a, a creative, who, who categorizes themselves as a creative, uh, uh, bring their vision to life. And I'm taken back by how they can create so much beauty out of nothingness. When creators create, though, they do something special. They, they do so with intention and purpose, don't they? They, they create, when they create, they bring their full being into the process. What I mean is when they create, they leave their fingerprint they have a signature most of the time, right? Picasso had a, a signature, right? Jay-Z has a signature. That's why he had the Blueprint album, amen? They leave their, it, it, when people produce music, they have a signature or call, right? Metro Boomin, y'all know it. I don't want to say it. Y'all know it though, amen? <laughs> One of the most offensive things you can do to a person that's a creative, though, is misunderstand them, misrepresent them or misuse their art or creation. A prince would used to get offended when people used to do covers of himself because most of the times covers are trash, aren't they, amen? Here's the thing, when a, when a creative they create, they do so with meaning and, and they don't want their work reimagined. Here's the thing, God is the number one creative, right? He is the most prolific creator. He is the mold in which all creatives are formed after. He's a masterful designer. The work of his hands are perfect. God don't miss, do he? When he makes it once, it's all good. God creates with intention and meaning. meaning. He creates with purpose, and everything he creates bears his fingerprint and signature. Amen or oh me? Here's the thing. When God creates something, he doesn't want to be misunderstood, misinterpreted, or, or nor have what he creates misused. Amen. Because we are sinful, what do we do, though? We twist God's words, his meanings. We are not faithful to keep his intentions. We take his creation and repurpose it for our own glory. Years ago, there was a song by an artist, Erica Badu, right? Amen? And in that intro of that song entitled Tyrone, she says something very prolific, right? She says, and I'm an artist, and I'm sensitive about my, okay, hold on, uh, my stuff. Let's, let's replace that word. We're still in church, ain't we? And what I'm saying, friends, God is an artist, and he's sensitive about his creation. He ain't, he ain't sensitive in a way where he's just irritable or he's irrational. God cares about his glory, and he will do anything to be represented well. We use marriage, and particularly marriage, for our own glory. We get married for the wrong reasons, and people get married for our personal gain, whether it be happiness or feeling loved or wanted. Our needs become the center of our marriages, don't they, sometimes? Mary, fig, uh, Mary folk, oh, oh, amen or oh me? See, some of y'all won't tell the truth on yourself, but I'm going to tell the truth for you. 
We reimagine marriage to fit our own pleasures, to meet our own designs. God's design for marriage should not be altered to tailor fit us because the meaning and the purpose for marriage will be altered. God is like, hold up, I'm the designer. This is my creation. And so the the, the point what I'm, I'm trying to get at today is marriage is God's design. It's his creation. It's his artwork to display his glory. It has his fingerprint on it. I'm going to do two things today. I want to give you the framework and the function of marriage. The framework for marriage is in God's word. And and if we're believers, we know that means that God dictates the terms. I like what Pastor Richard said the other week. He said to fully understand relationships, we have to start with God, don't we? Amen? We got to get into his mind, into his heart. And so we start in Genesis and we get the framework to fully understand and live out the purpose of marriage. We got to understand the designer. To truly honor God in your marriage, you got to have his view for marriage. And it begins at the beginning. So Genesis 1:26, and I know uh, 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 Richard went there, and I know uh, Tim has gone there. And so I'm going to go there too, because I think it's important to repeat time and time after again so we can get in our skulls. It says, let us, the Trinity, make man in our own likeness. See, here's the thing. God is eternally loving, giving, and oriented towards others. He is in an eternal, perfect relationship with himself, in perfect harmony with himself. God's nature has always been to sacrifice, share, and concern himself with the welfare of others. Amen? God created us out of love to experience his love and to reflect his love. In Genesis 1:27, we see God's design for humanity. God, he created us both male and female. God created us to image him, to reflect his character and nature. And we were to put God on display. He created us like, he created us like himself, relational beings, right? We're all relational beings. All relationships mirror the relationship within the Godhead. He he is the point of reference for all our relationships. That is vital. If you get that messed up, you're going to get everything about relationships messed up. You can't understand relationships without understanding the dynamic of the Trinity. Within our God, there is three distinct persons who are inseparable and operate with complete unity, oneness, and harmony. They are all equal. They are all God. There is fellowship, love, intimacy, and care. They serve one another. There is submission within the Godhead. This is what all relationships are supposed to reflect. Here's the thing. Being single is good. It's really good, right? 1 Corinthians 7 says that. If if you're single, Stay single because that's awesome. That's good. If you're married, stay married because that's good. That's awesome. What's not awesome is not being known and not having friendships. When God created us in his image, he created both us male and female. What this means is when God created us, he created us different and equal. Both men and women have the same dignity, the same value, the same worth. We were created in his image, but God makes a distinction. Though we are equal, there are differences. That's not just biological. That's who we are. We are different. We complement one another. We give a clearer picture of God. Jesus and the Father are the same in a sense, but they're different. And they're both God. They're both equal. We don't, we don't distinguish between or lesser the value of either one of them. That's what we're trying to model. And that's why he created us, to model that, to complement with one another. This is the, the, but here's the thing. We have a framework of marriage. 
in Genesis 2, the text that we are in today, 18 through 24, uh, 24, it helps us see that marriage started in the heart and mind of God. That means he's the author and designer. Marriage is an institution, not an act of society, human will, but of God. It's a God exclusive. Humanity, humanity did not create marriage. God did. So humanity can't do with marriage what they want to do with marriage. Because it's God's. I need some help. Thank you, Cameron. Because <laughs> if I'm saying what's true, y'all better say amen. The problem with the church, y'all don't amen enough. The truth of what God's word is. What you amen, that video we just saw, when you like what you saw, Amen. When it fits your needs and fits your pleasure, it made you feel good. Amen. Yeah, I like that. Uh, I, we respond to that stuff. Respond to God's word with an amen, a hearty amen. I need an amen. Come on, brothers. Shoot, we need some bass. When God created us in his image, he created us male and female, right? And it's an institution. When we get married, it's an institution of God. That means when we enter in marriage, what, what do we enter into? We enter into, into an a, 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 a institution that is under God's authority. That it's, 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 it's his to do what he wants, not for us to do what we want. Here's the thing. In, 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 two, in, in 2.18, it says, God declares that it's not good for man to be alone. Why? Why is it not good for man to be alone? What is God talking about? Here, here's the thing. The thing is that Adam didn't have someone in his likeness to think about or have fellowship with or communion with. If there was no one in his likeness to love, serve, and honor, no one to give himself to, that doesn't mean that that's the only institution you can do that in, marriage. We do that in all our relationships, right? But, but and, and, and uniquely in marriage, it's a giving yourself to that's unique in marriage. And I am talking about sex, amen? The sex is in the context of marriage, and that's where we're going to cut it. And Richard going to preach on that in a little bit, so I'm not going to go too deep into that. But some of y'all didn't even amen that. So that frightens me. Of what you even believe about sex. Listen to this. Here's the thing. Was Adam lonely? Is that why God created woman out of man? No. It wasn't the fact that he was lonely. It wasn't the fact that he needed communion necessarily because he had perfect communion with God. This is before the fall, y'all. This is in, in, in harmony with God. He had, he had perfect fellowship with God. He didn't, have to, he didn't go to God and complain. Like, God, man, where's, where, where, where my folk at? Yo, where, I, need, I need some folk. I need a posse. I need, some, I need a group of people to hang with. God noticed that Adam was alone. God noticed it. The problem wasn't that Adam needed sex that he needed conversation, that he needed someone to split the bills with. <laughs> or someone to make him feel loved. Or make him feel special. Adam didn't need Valentine's Day. <laughs> that would make marriage all about his needs, right? That would center marriage around him. Marriage would be about serving Adam. The problem was Adam couldn't fully display God's image like, he, like God wanted because he was alone. He was not able to fulfill God's task to steward creation. He would be too preoccupied with himself. He would think only about himself and not focus on serving and looking to the needs of others. God wanted him to reflect his nature and character, and Adam needed to do that with somebody. God is like, man needs to love like me. 
Man needs to care like me, serve like me. He needs an equal. He needs diversity. Brothers, don't we need diversity? Amen. To help him steward all that I have given him in the garden. He was saying it's not good for a man to be selfish. He needs someone in his likeness in order to grow up. God said he would give him a suitable helper corresponding to him. That is so romantic, ain't it? <laughs> Sandy, let me say that to you. She's like, nah, brother, that ain't, ain't going to work. <laughs> Amen. That's not how we got three kids using that language. Um, y'all are so soft right now. I need y'all to grow up now. And man was like, bet, I need a suitable helper. That, that sounds good to me. So we looked around giving names to all creation and animals and all that stuff. And he's like, yo, this ain't going to work, God. This ain't for me. So God cre got creative and formed a masterpiece out of man. Amen? Sisters, he formed a masterpiece out of man. Amen? And Adam delighted in the beauty and the goodness of woman. Woman is not just a piece of man, but fully woman. She is an equal image bearer in the likeness of man. Here's what I'm getting at. She's different but equal. Both men and women are vital. I don't care what these talking heads on social media say. We need one another. Why put ourselves against one another? That's the problem with society. That's one of the big narratives. Who's doing more? Who's better? Who's worth more? We're both equally made in the image of God. Stop comparing. Oh, that might hurt your feelings. I hope not, because I'm speaking Bible truth. The word of God says it, not me. I don't care what these people are saying. We do not diminish God's design. Here's what I'm saying. Women are not to serve man, right? Or, or serve our twisted fantasies. Amen? And men aren't here to, to serve every woman's emotional desires or needs. Or, 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 women, or, or men aren't here to manipulate to get what we want out of them. Women aren't here to just to support men in our work, like being cheerleaders. Women aren't our cheerleaders, men. The original language actually says something quite different. Woman was put here to help this helpless man. She had to intervene because he needed help. Here's the problem. Well, let's put it this way. Let me give y'all a word picture because I'm, I'm going to do, I'm, I got some hood tendencies. So I'm going to put it this way. Just say you're in a fight. And you're in a fight, and it's not going so well. So I'm not a tough guy, so most fights don't go well for me, amen? But one of the things that happens is you see that dude come out of the cut, and he comes bombing on cats. That's what woman does for man. She comes in bombing for the brother. She got his back. She's active out here in these streets. She ain't sitting back like, man, you need to do this. Go ahead and do this. No, she's out here getting into work too, amen? If you made in the image of God, women can, can do work too. They got that work for y'all, amen. <laughs> Partnership and friendship should precede marriage. That's what I'm getting at. Partnership and friendship should precede marriage. Thank you, Zach. Many marital relationships could be better or healthier because we would learn to be better friends. Some of y'all are sitting here over analyzing, over-sexualizing, and over-romanticizing y'all relationships with men. Learn to be friends. Men, stop over-sexualizing, over-romanticizing over a, a woman. Learn to be friends. Friendship is good. That's why God created us, for companionship, to know one another, 
to care for one another. Let's continue as we look at the framework because I'm going to touch on some sensitive things in a second. In verse 24 and 25, we see marriage is defined by God. I'm going to define marriage as this. Marriage is a commitment between one man and one woman to leave, cleave, and weave their lives together. And I'm going to say this with sensitivity because I know that was harmful to some people in here who might identify themselves as a part of a certain community, the LGBTQ plus community. And I, and I want you to know I don't mean any, anybody that identifies with that community any harm. I, I want to be honest, though. I, I want you to know that you are made in the image of God. You deserve dignity if that's who, how you identify yourself. I, I want you to know that God loves you. We love you. We want you here. We don't want to push you out. We don't turn our noses up at you. Amen? But I also know this statement that I made needs further conversation. I can't make a statement like that and not invite conversation or friendship. And that's what I'm inviting you to. Conversation and friendship. I don't want you to feel pushed out. I want you to feel, you got, you're pulled in. That's what I want you to feel. And here's the other part, though. There are some who might just disagree with me. They might not identify in that community, but they sound, I sound archaic and oppressive. I don't sound progressive. And here's the thing. I cannot take away people's agency to live how they want to live or believe what they want to believe. I can't take that away. But I believe the Bible is clear, and it defines marriage this way. Marriage is a commitment between one man and one woman. Marriage is not polyamorous either. It's not polygamy. And that's what we're seeing in the culture, ain't we? All this polyamorous, all oh, polygamy. I'm first, but that's too many problems. Amen? That's too many problems. The Bible says when you get married, you got problems. Why do you want more problems? Just because we see it in the Bible, and it's in the Bible, let's not sugarcoat this. We see polygamy in the Bible doesn't mean that God affirmed it. We're all sinners. And, and, and there were sinful men who did some sinful things, and particularly men. And so we're not going to, like, dismiss the evils that we see. We're not going to make Rahab look like she just got some problems, right? Solomon got problems, too. Let's point at Solomon being that sinful, uh, 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 yeah, adulterer and all kinds of, yeah, he wicked. <laughs> he just evil what he did. But here's what I'm getting at, y'all. I'm not saying that all heterosexual marriage is good, too. Just because your marriage resembles God's design doesn't mean it honors God's design. I know people who are happily married that are non-believers. They have all the ingredients. They, they, they have a happy marriage, except one thing, they don't honor God. They dismiss God as the center of their relationship or the, or, or the center or, or the picture that they're trying to mirror, right? So it's not honoring to God. But here's the thing, lots of people, including Christians, are but a caricature of the real thing, too. There are similarities, but they're a distorted picture of the real thing. Some of y'all folk in this room right now, marriages are just a godless as, as a non-believers. God ain't the center of your marriage. He's not the framework of why you do what you do and how you live how you live. God don't got nothing to do with your marriage. You listen to pop psychology and everything else before you listen to God's word. You ain't, but you a distortion. It's not the real thing. And we're going to talk about the real thing in a second. Just because you married don't make you mature. My single folk, y'all much more mature than some of these married folk. Let me just say that off top. Marriage is not an indicator of a person's maturity. Some of y'all shouldn't have gotten married. 
I've sat with many couples and counseled many couples, and I'm glad you are married, and I, don't, I want you to stay married, and I want you to work through the problems that you have, but some of y'all shouldn't have got married. If, you if I would have counseled you in your marriage, I would have said, stay single. Y'all not ready for this. I wasn't ready for this. I wish I would have made it, but I love my wife. She's fine. I love my wife. <laughs> one of the most important goals of marriage is to become one in the likeness of God. What does this mean? It means marriage is a covenant. It's a commitment. People don't believe you need a piece of paper to prove their love and devotion. I would disagree. To you, you can express your love and devotion. by make, You do it by making it as permanent as possible. Marriage is just not loving feelings or romance. It's actually an agreement. It's a commitment. It's a piece of paper. Amen. People take vows in which are promises and commitments for the future and have witnesses at their wedding to hold them accountable to their vows. They're not just there for dinner and cake. <laughs> Thank you, Tracy. <laughs> but they're to remind you of the commitments you made. So one of the main reasons it's hard to stay committed in marriage is because people change. Amen? People aren't static. They're dynamic. One of the challenges to stay faithful in marriage is because you've got to relearn that person. My wife is not the same person I met 16 years ago. She's just as fine, maybe finer, amen? But she's not the same person. I'm not the same person. And that's not always good either. Marriage is supposed to model the inseparable union of God. That is why God says, what God put together, let no person tear apart. God's intention for marriage was it to model him and his inseparable, inseparable oneness. Listen, listen to this, though. Divorce is not always wrong. Let's not shame people who, who've been divorced either, because there's people I know here in this room who have gone through divorce. And there are legitimate reasons for divorce, and it's difficult. People have been hurt by bad and abusive marriages when there's constant harm and, and unrepentant adultery. Sometimes they have no other choice but to get out of there. There's harm being done. That person isn't repentant. That person isn't even a believer, probably. And you don't want that person to stay there. God doesn't want any harm to come to that person. I'm not saying just go and get married. I mean, get divorced all willy-nilly and like, right? Divorce has to be held in tension. Divorce is similar to marriage in this way. It's not dependent on your happiness. It's not centered on your happiness. We don't graduate from marriage just because you don't, you, you don't need somebody's love in order to love yourself. Yes, I'm talking about Tia Maury. That's what's in the, the narrative of I have graduated from my marriage. She said that, and I cringed. We've grown apart. That just means I wasn't happy as I used to be in this marriage. We don't connect like we're supposed to be. That old couple has some wisdom, boy. Y'all need to listen to them back then. Let me just say this. To not take marriage seriously is dangerous. Marriage can't be the scapegoat for the problems you brought into marriage. And I'm not talking about marriage where there is abuse or harm being done. I'm talking about marriages where you got married thinking the person was going to validate you or meet every need that you had or give you more value. Or got married with unrealistic expectations and now you're not happy. You're not saying, I don't think it's God's will. I'm, talking, I'm, not, I'm even talking about the trauma that shows up in marriage that happened long ago in your life. And you think you can't heal being in your marriage. 
I'm going to tell you right now, your, your marriage should be part of the healing. Yes, there's triggers, but you need to learn how to work through those triggers. Yes, you need to learn how to heal from the, the trauma in the past. Don't exclude your spouse from that work. Now, spouses who, who, who have spouses that have gone through trauma, you need to be extra sensitive and caring and there for that spouse. You need to see them. When they're saying they're struggling, listen to them. Hear them, see them. And you need to put some respect on marriage, folk. Because it reflects God's glory. And if you don't take marriage seriously, then you don't take God's glory seriously. And again, it's God's design. He, he made it. It's not yours to do with what you please. Marriage is a human institution of divine origin. God is the artist who has painted this masterpiece. Marriage doesn't fail us, right? Sinful human beings fail marriage. Do I need to say that again? Marriage does not fail us. Sinful, sinful human beings fail marriage. God has given us a framework for what he, de he desires. He also gives them the function. Now, I'm going to have to rush through this because I don't have a lot of time. And y'all don't want me to rush through this part, I know. See, I needed that one. Thank you. He gave me permission. <laughs> Wives and husbands have to work together. And we do that to communicate the gospel. One of my favorite YouTube channels is this channel called Sorted. My wife knows about it because I think we found it together. She might even put me on it. And it's these British guys. I don't know what's about British accents in our marriage, but we love British accents. Like, you know, Idris Elba, you know, Damon Idris and all those guys. I just love them, right? You know, I don't know what it is. I love hearing British accents. And so that's why I watch this show. But one of my favorite segments, <laughs> one of my favorite segments in this uh, uh, YouTube channel is, is when they take old appliances or ancient appliances and try to figure out what they are. They try to guess it, right? And they try to figure out by how it functions. It does a job, and they want to see what job it accomplishes. See, they're trying to see things clearly and know what it is by the way it functions. What I'm saying, God created marriage, and the best way to see the picture of what God is trying to paint to the world is by the way it functions. We know God has a framework, then there must be a particular way it must function. Remember, God is the creator, and he did so with intention and purpose. I love what Steve Jobs had to say. He said, design is not just what it looks like and feels like. Design is how it works. We see this in Ephesians 5, 21 through 33, and I won't do this. I'm going to just give you two sentences on Ephesians. Ephesians is a letter written to help us fully grasp the, the power of the gospel by how it impacts people in our relationships. In this book, our relationships embody who Christ is. All relationships bear the image of God because we're all image bearers and we're supposed to image God. That is what we're supposed to accomplish. To emphasize, to, to the emphasis on chapters four through six is how the Holy Spirit impacts our relationships. Y'all better get this. It's the, the Holy Spirit is the theme music in this book. If you look at the book of Ephesians and don't notice what the Holy Spirit is trying to do and accomplish in the midst of the congregation, you're missing the point of Ephesians. The emphasis is in high theology. It's how the, our, our, how, how the gospel or how the Holy Spirit impacts how we live together. Amen or oh me. Some of y'all need, do y'all know that? Amen. In chapter five, Paul breaks down life in the spirit, how the spirit-filled relationships look and function. I need y'all to know that because he talks about all these dynamic relationships. He talks about marriage. He, he talks about, uh, uh, what is he talking about? He talks about parenting. He talks about working relationships. I'm not going to say slave and masters because I know that, that's triggering for me. Amen? 
All Christian relationships should function under the guidance and influence of the Holy Spirit, especially marriage. Many times when we see verses 20, uh, 22 to 33, it, it, you think it's the beginning of a new thought from verses 18 through 21. But it actually, verses 21 and 22 is a run-on sentence. And, and, and here's the thing. The last implication of the Holy Spirit's work in the life of, of believers is we are to submit to one another out of awe and reverence of Christ. Submitting is an ongoing practice, an ongoing posture in all of our relationships. Submission means to voluntarily bring yourself underneath someone, to serve them, to look to their interests and care for them. There's humility, mutuality, and equality in all relationships. I've said this in the past. Being a Christian means a life of living, a life of service to one another. We need to give, we need to give people authority in our lives. We need to serve other people. That is part of our DNA. That's why when you see somebody in, in danger who needs help, you, you have this something in you that needs to feel like you have to help. I've said, here's the thing. The gospel is the great equalizer, though, right? Even though all relationships have humility, mutuality, and equality, all relationships aren't the same. They take different forms. These things take different forms. And the gospel is the great equalizer. We see in this book, Hebrew and Gentile believers are now made equal, right? In Galatians 3, the gospel brings equality, not uniformity. There's still diversity. In those days, and this is important to know about the society, they had a problem with the equality and the liberation the gospel brought. Why? Because it disrupted the home. When, where men had absolute, complete rule and authority over their home. That's why he's going into all these relationships. He's saying the gospel, the liberation the gospel gives, the, the equality that the gospel gives, has to, now we got to learn to reorient ourselves around that thing. Man, y'all need to listen to me. I'm, talk, I'm, I'm, I'm preaching today, boy. Mutuality looks different in different relationships because every relationship is not the same, right? Marriage is different from friendship. Friendship is different from parenting. Children are image bearers too. Hold that, y'all. But you can't expect the same mutuality from a child that you would from a spouse. That's called triangulation, if y'all into that kind of conversation. That means you're expecting some emotional needs to be met by a child that's only supposed to be met by your spouse. Man, I ain't going there with y'all today. With diversity comes the reality of coming together, learning what it looks like to work together and live together, to honor the Lord. Submission is not a cuss word or something regulated to one type of person to do. We're all called to submit. In marriage, there's a form of mutual submission. There is selflessness, and both spouses have to, have, to, have to put themselves underneath the other spouse to serve their other person's interests. There's an embodiment of Christ in the gospel, and it takes work, and it takes 100% effort. Yeah, that sounds ideal. But anybody that's been married long enough knows married doesn't feel like that, does it? Does it? It's nearly impossible for both spouses to give 100% at the same time. The emphasis is not on how the effort you give, but how surrendered to the Holy Spirit you live. Man, y'all better, man, look, marriage is spiritual, man. Come on, y'all. Marriage is about learning to live with a person as they change. I love what they were saying, right? Their brother was saying. To, as they grow, and that's difficult, and that's messy, and it can, it can test the commitment of both spouses. And in verse 18 through 21, it tells us the Holy Spirit is the motor of marriage. 
And when we get to verse 22 through 33, it starts to be specific on how it functions. Paul in these verses are paint, is painting a picture using imagery. He's trying to make things clear to help us understand the function of marriage and looking to the end picture. He's sort of going Bob Ross on us right now. You remember Bob Ross with the afro he used to paint the pictures, amen, back in the day? He's explaining things, and as he's painting the picture, at the end, he's going to give us the big reveal. That marriage should paint the picture of the gospel. Paul is trying to help us see how life in the spirit counteracts the results of the fall. Your marriage will either show off the glory of God or the work of the evil one. That's true. We live in sinful flesh. We put no confidence in our flesh. And if you're not living for Jesus and submitting to him and the Holy Spirit, you're submitting to somebody. Come on, people. Genesis 3.16, we see the results of the consequence of the fall. The fall impacts relationships. The dynamics between husband and wife become harmful. They become dangerous to one another. The fall distorted God's plan for marriage to reflect God's love. Your sin nature wreaks havoc on your marriage. At the end of the book, Paul talks about spiritual warfare. Marriage problems are not just issues of communication or inability to resolve conflict. At the core, it's, marriage is an act of worship to God. It's not secular. It's deeply spiritual. It models after God. How dare you think it's all about what you do and all the little practices that you do, all the little things that you little, little things, little things you can do to, to try to work out your marriage to make you communicate better, and how you can just, hey, I see you and I feel you, and you have this good this, this type of language. That's dope. That's dope. No dissing, no shade to that. But if you ain't got Jesus in mind as you are married, you're going to fall every time. Man, y'all ain't listening to me. Some of y'all problems is because y'all not praying or acting like Christians and obeying God's word. That's probably the biggest problem in your marriage, and you don't realize it. And I'm not talking about one or the other. I'm talking about both of them. Some of y'all need to learn that your marriage is for you to grow up. Here's, here's what this, though. Here's what the relational dynamics happen, though. So in, in, in Genesis 3.16, he says this. And I love how the NLT puts it. He says, the wife's desire will be to control her husband, and the husband will try to rule over his wife. And there are some wives that just want a man they can just tell what to do and tell him to shut up and roll over and go, get, go do what I want you to do. They want to build him and mold him in their own image. There are some husbands they only want wives to serve him and do what he, ple- what he asked for and please him. Put it another way, we want our wives to do what we want them to do to try to get our way. And we want our husbands to do what we want them to do to try to get our way. It's the opposite of love. This is about, this is about selfishness. The fall created selfishness, selfishness and self-centeredness. The number one killer of all marriage, even relationships, is selfishness. It's being overtaken by your desires. You destroy anything or anyone that gets in your way of what you want. James 4.1 says that. You don't have to be violent or aggressive. It can be apathy, right? The man talked about neglecting his wife. It can be dismissiveness dismissiveness of, of their feelings and their desires and their dreams. It can be withholding love. It can be lacking compassion. It can be a, being overly critical. I don't think we can sugarcoat this because there's a different type of evil in marriage that I see. Some of us are just so low down and petty. You are petty. That's a word for somebody here. You are petty. Stop being petty. If the fall explains our biggest problems in marriage, then life in the spirit gives us hope. 
the gospel gives us hope. If, if, the, if marriage is, is, is not about getting your way, I mean, if marriage is about getting your way, then you're in trouble. But it's really not about that. It's about your maturity. It's, it's about you being shaped in the image of Christ. The work of the Spirit makes us selfless. It puts others' needs ahead of ours. It gives order and shape to how we live with one another. It's like a basketball team. We all have different positions that we play. Not everyone can have the same function or role. They play their position to help the team win. And that's true what the Bible says about the body of Christ, right? The only way we grow up is if we serve one another in unique ways. We were created differently, but we were still masterfully made to contribute our gifts and talents for the growth and unity of the church. The goal is not sameness. Marriage, the goal is not to be the same. You're equal already. You're made in the image of God. It's to work in your role to the best of your ability to see your marriage flourish, to model the gospel. God has called the husband and the wife to model Christ in one another. If you don't grasp that's what the text is saying, then you're getting the wrong idea. Here's the thing. I'm going to step into this very carefully, and I'm going to pray. I should have prayed right now, amen? Because honestly, when we get to verses 22 through 24 and 33, I need to take a breath because I stand here recognizing who I am as a man and as a pastor. And I recognize even these verses, to me, to, to, to preach on, much of the harm that's been done in these verses has been done for people who look like me and act like me, who preach God's word, church leadership. I recognize these verses have been misinterpreted and misused to harm and oppress women, to exploit and devalue women. It's been used to make women feel less than who they are, true image bearers. And I'm sorry, I apologize for how pastors consistently misinterpret God's word to make you feel like man is your gift or, or, or heaven's gift to you, to save you. That's not what this text is saying. As I step into this, I step into this with sensitivity. And I know it's hard for some of y'all to hear because some of this context that you are coming out of, maybe the marriages you're coming out of, maybe the relationships you're coming out of, maybe the marriage that has been presented to you in your own family, but how this has been lived out. But God calls the woman to model Christ by submitting and respecting her husband. Submissiveness is not the same as obedience. It's not the same of, but it is the same as selflessness and service. It's a wife choosing to love her spouse by looking to his interests. It's showing care and kindness to him. It's encouraging him to initiate and lead. This text is about marriage. So single women, I just want to let you know, if you're dating somebody right now, you ain't got to practice this. Brothers, stop. Well, I need a woman to know, no woman going to submit to me. Brother, chill out. Chill out. Chill out, bro. Just be friends with them and watch their relationships. You'll know how she interacts with relationships how, if she's a, a submissive person in general. And she'll know that from you. Okay, man. Oh, Lord. I'm going to tell y'all single women right now, do not date a man who doesn't submit to another person. Can I talk to him, Sandy? Because one of the things that Sandy noticed is I submitted to my pastors. I submitted to other people around me, the, the, the community that I had around me. She noticed that. She noticed the sensitivity of the Holy Spirit. I wasn't perfect. I was a mess. But she saw when, when the truth of the gospel or the truth in the Bible hit me, I cried out and wailed out and I confessed my sin and I repented. Brothers, do the same thing. Run from a woman who doesn't repent of her sin. 
run from a woman who does not repent of her sin. All right, I'm going to stop. Y'all going to get me in trouble. I ain't got no time. But here's the thing. <laughs> and a wife is, is called to embody Christ to her husband. She is called to model Christ's role in the Godhead. In the Godhead, there is equality, like I said before. But there is a distinct distinction in how they function. We see this in the dynamic between Christ and the Father. Christ willfully serves the Father for the glory of the Godhead. In Ephesians chapter 2, verses 5 through 9, it states, even though Christ is equal with the Father, he willfully humbled himself to the interest of the Father, and this doesn't make him less God. But he sacrificed himself for the glory of the Godhead. The life of a wife is voluntarily humbling yourself, therefore putting herself in a vulnerable position to serve her husband. He illustrates this by a living picture of Christ in the church. Telling husbands and wives to image Christ's relationship with the church. In verses 23 through 24, he uses this illustration to express how spouses function together and image the gospel. These verses have been used to harm wives, insinuating that husbands have absolute authority over their wives. No, you have authority over each other. That's what 1 Corinthians 7 says, over each other's bodies to be exact. So there is a mutual submission in marriage. Amen or oh me? I'm talking about the Bible. I ain't talking about what you're thinking. But these verses have hurt women, removing their agency and their ability or their need and their responsibility to give consent. Women do not need man's... They don't, we don't need man's approval. Or women don't need men's approval to exist, to be who they are. They don't need man's consent or to consent themselves. They need to be able to consent themselves. That's what I'm getting at. The reality of these scriptures is more so describing a husband's responsibility to image Jesus' love and care for the church. Actually, if you're looking at this text correctly, one of the commentaries I read put it like this. Paul redefines being head as having the responsibility to love, to give oneself, and to nurture. A priority is placed on the husband. Contrary to ancient society, it's for the benefit of the wife. Although Paul makes explicit the priority and responsibility of the husband, the text also assumes oneness and the equality of husbands and wife in verses 28 and 31. It said enough right there. But basically what it's saying is the husband has a responsibility and a priority to lead like Christ in a marriage, to model Christ in a marriage. And this should, this should make them one, not diminishing her, but it should impact the marriage to be one. I, when I thought of these verses, I thought about the show Dancing of the Stars. Don't hate me. I don't watch that show often. But when I do, <laughs> one of the things I love about the show is that they're learning to dance together. They're learning to dance together. And the, most of the time, the choreographer is a woman. And I love that because her role is to help the male partner learn his role to lead and initiate the dance. She is helping him fit into his role. She's helping him learn that he needs to be the one to initiate so they can create beauty by their dancing. What I'm getting at is this. Both, if both take and initiate and lead, it looks clumsy and, and, and it won't work. If one is too aggressive, they might hurt one another. What I'm getting at is our wives, this is what you need to do for your husband, is to help your husband learn how to initiate being a, as a leader. To be an initiating leader, to be exact. When the text says wives submit to their husband and everything, the text is really the heart of this text is, it's about a wife positioning herself to help her husband become the initiator in the marriage. 
helping to learn to lead. Husbands are responsible to lead by initiating with the same sacrificial love and care and heart of Christ, taking responsibility to make sure that you're on the same page, that there is unity and agreement, making sure you guys are following Jesus. The husband's responsibility to make sure is, baby, is it okay with you? Are you man, I, I think we should go this way. But hold on, baby, what are you, what, what are you saying? Uh, you don't want to do it? All right, bet, we're not going to do that then. It, it's the husband to say, hey, honey, let's pray. Here's what I'm going to say. Like, I, I ain't going to speak for our sisters, man, but I'm going to speak for them today. Amen. You don't want a domineering husband, do you? You also don't want a passive husband, do you? Well, you got to push him to love Jesus, pray, and do spiritual things. So how do you get a husband like that? You help him initiate and tell him that's what you desire him to do more of. You want him to initiate not everything all the time, right? But you want him to initiate conversation, don't you? How was your day, baby? You want him to initiate intimacy, don't you? You want him to initiate just even the spiritual stuff that happens in the life of the household. You don't want him sitting back feeding off of your plate. You'd be like, brother, get your own plate. Why don't you bring, why don't you barbecue and bring something to eat for us to feast on? Sorry, y'all not listening to me. But here's the thing. It means wives, a husband is to be like the Savior, not to be the Savior. Jesus has already saved you. Husbands don't save their wives, but model Jesus' love and sacrifice to the family. Husbands are initiators, but just like Christ, he initiates us to know us to experience the love of the Father. Wives are to be like the church and respond to the invitation. She has to give her consent. Wives can say, I don't want to go here. I don't want to do this. I want to do this. And the husband has to say, okay, let's talk about it. Let's come to an agreement. Husbands, we can't try to demand our own way and try to bully our wives. Stop trying to bully your wife. She's a person. She's a human. She's made in the same image as you. Boy, you better learn to be kind and gentle. That's what my wife tell me, Mo, gentle. You don't know your strength. We be playing, you know, you be a little frisky, you know, flirting. I got three kids. Offer your husband your heart. Respect his leadership. As he hears from the Lord, he has the Holy Spirit. He has your best intention in mind. Honor your husband. But here's the thing. I'm going I'm to I'm I'm rush to a close. I got some things to say to men. The Bible tells you to love your wives as Christ loved the church. This is, this is to be done by the power of the Holy Spirit. It's telling husbands not to exploit their leadership. Exploitation is the opposite of love. Do you understand that, brothers? Masculinity in male leadership is most defined in our culture by power, control, and authority. Paul is helping redefine masculinity as it pertains to husbands leading their wives. The word used for love is agape. It's the same love that Christ has for the church. It's the same love that energized him to go to the cross for the church on the church's behalf. For the joy set before Christ, he endured the cross to get his bride. Husbands, you better sacrifice everything to bring your bride back to you. You better lay down your pride, your ego, your job, whatever it is, to win your bride back if you, something's happening in your marriage. Get over yourself. I said, man, this is what I always tell myself. I'm a, I'm a fool for Jesus. Because I do some foolish things when he tells me to obey him. And when, he tell, when it comes to my wife, 
I'm going to do some foolish things. I'm going to jump through hoops. I'm going to dance. Like, I don't even dance. But if my wife says, hey, baby, I want to dance, okay. It's servanthood, modeled after the gospel. Husbands embody Christ to their wives. One of the things I want to say briefly is when marriages only work when we stop comparing. Quit comparing yourselves to to, to each other. That ain't helpful to y'all marriage. Well, I do more than he does. I remember somebody said this. A woman works from sun to sun. I mean, a man works from sun to sun, but a a woman's work is never done. And I was like, that's kind of true, amen. (laughs) But what was the point of saying that? Was it to try to make me feel less than without my position and my role as a husband? And I'm also saying this. Most of our positions and and the things that we say in our roles in marriage are very encultured. We base it off of the traditional family, which is not necessarily biblical. What the Bible does is tell us the framework and the function, and we're supposed to figure out what works for us. Me and my wife have a different marriage than most of the people in this room, probably. We still play our role. She still wants me to initiate. She still helps me learn to dance and love her and care for her, right? Amen? But it's different. Sandy don't make my plate. I make my plate. Sandy don't wash my clothes. I like to wash my clothes. She's not, I'm not regulating her to be domestic. I'm domestic. (laughs) I like domestic stuff, amen? Y'all know I like to cook. Here's one thing I love. This one quote, it says, a good marriage is one which each partner secretly suspects they got the better deal. When the, when, the, when the Bible goes on in the rest of the verses, in verse 27 through 30, it says this. I'm going to keep going, y'all. I got to. This, I got to finish some of this. When the Bible tells, when the Bible tells husbands, it, it says to cleanse, wash, present your wife without spot or wrinkle. The husbands are to love their wives as their own bodies. The, 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 some version says to nourish and feed her or to cherish her protector. As I started looking at those words, I said, man, he's using some particular interesting language. This looks like domestic work. It's telling husbands, take care of home. Be domestic. Don't be career-driven. Be family-driven. Be wife-driven. Your contribution to the world is not what you do in the successes that you have out there in society. It's taking care of home, loving your wife. The person at your funeral that's going to be that you're going to, that people are going to look at the way she responds in tears or wailing over your casket is your wife. And I want a wife that's wailing, but smiling at the same time. Say, he was a good man. He loved Jesus. He modeled Christ to me. He served me. He let me experience the glory and the goodness of God. He led me in that way. Here's the thing, again. Bring something to the table, brothers. I'm not trying to shame you or make you feel bad about yourself, but y'all, brothers, we got to step up. We got to. And it's not about your education. It's not about your ability to provide financially. It's not about your pedigree. It's about you becoming more godly. It's about you understanding where your identity is rooted in. I don't care what job you have. If you won the Nobel Peace Prize, if your home is a mess and it's neglected, You are failing in life. The Bible teaches a man who neglects his home is worse than an unbeliever. 
when it says husbands to love their wives as their own bodies, here, I'm gonna go, I have to say this because this was good for me. It, it convicted me. When a, when a wife places themselves in a place of vulnerability, they are offering us their trust. We are not to exploit that. Don't use, your per, don't use your wife for your personal pleasure and gain. Don't objectify her. Don't dehumanize our wives. Treat your wife as your own body. It means don't cause them harm. It means to protect them from your own self. Who does the most damage to their bodies? We do. I can look in the mirror every day and say, nobody put that donut to my mouth. <laughs> I put that donut on my plate. I ate that McDonald's fries. I'm doing the most damage to my body. What it's saying is treat your wife as you would treat your own self. It also says don't harm your wife like you wouldn't harm yourself. Or don't harm your, don't harm your wife because you, you're the one who does the most damage in your home. I sit with brothers after brothers and I counsel them because of the harm that they've done to their wives. And I sit with them and they're wondering why. Man, I'm trying to initiate. I'm trying to be nurturing. But guess what ends up happening, right? What ends up happening is their wife doesn't want anything to do with them because of the harm that's happened. The, harm, the wife stops responding to the initiation because you've caused harm. She needs to heal. You got to be part of the healing process for her. Not causing more harm, not getting upset because she's not responding. Brother, quit thinking about yourself. Remember, marriage is God's artwork. We are supposed to equally surrender to Jesus in our marriages. But marriage is supposed to display something much greater than us. It displays the gospel. These earthly vessels display a heavenly work of love and care and goodness. When the Holy Spirit is moving, both spouses lower and sacrifice themselves for the good of the other. They model the glory of the gospel. When a wife submits to her husband, it's a picture of Christ's willful, glorious submission to God by going to the cross. When a husband loves his wife, it's a picture of God's loving sacrifice to send his son to the cross to gain his bride. That's why oneness in marriage is so important because it's a picture that, of the gospel. It's a picture that displays the church. Marriage is a shadow of the things to come. I always say, when I do marriages, when I do weddings, I always say marriage is a shadow of what's to come. It's a shadow of the reality when Christ will come back and get his bride, right? Before we see anything coming around the corner, the thing we see most of the time is the shadow. But one day we will be face to face with our Savior, with our groom. Best thing for the husband to do, best for the wife to do, is prepare ourselves for that groom. One day he will be back and we will be united with him forever. Fully vindicated. Away from suffering. Fully restored. Fully redeemed. Let me just say this. God is a designer. Marriage is his masterpiece. We have to see that marriage is his artwork, and we cannot do with marriage what we desire. His fingerprint should be on your marriage. When Jesus is involved in your marriage, he leaves a mark. Sometimes it's slapping me upside my head. My application for today, here's my application. Find community. Please find community. All marriages need other people. You can't do marriage alone. You need singles and married. The point of marriage is being godly. There are, more sing there are some godly singles in this church, ain't, ain't it? Amen. That need to tell you to be godly. Find friendship. Marriages need to delight in one another. When Adam saw Eve, he delighted in her. Find that for yourself. Find commonalities. Find things that you can do together. Laugh together. Attune to one another's hurts and pains. Find friendship. Find a purpose. Most marriages are aimless. 
Y'all don't do nothing but just, hey, baby, I love you. I, I love when newlyweds get married. They just seem so happy. Um, I'm happy. I just don't show it on my face all the time. Um, but most are not God-centered with God goals. You focus on each other way too much, not serving others, not serving singles. You want single to watch your, singles to watch your kids, but are, how are you watching out for singles? I'm going to stop. Find counseling. Some of y'all marriage right now need intervention. Some of y'all need to confess some things that y'all been doing in your marriage and how you be harming one, of your, one another. You need counseling. You need help. Do not leave this church or this room without being honest about where you're at in your marriage with somebody. If you've been harmful to your wife, confess it. Look, abuse is not just physical. It's mental. It's emotional. It's verbal. If you've been abusing your spouse, then confess it. Wives, you do it as well. Husbands, you do it as well. I want to say this again. I'm not perfect. I want to live like Jesus. That's the desire for our church. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for all the things that you're doing in the life of the church. God, I feel like I don't have enough time to do much. But Lord, with the time I had, I pray that you were pleased. I pray that it honored you and people felt not just convicted, but loved. They found hope knowing that, God, you have a plan for their life. And if they submit to you and surrender to you, you can build a healthy, vibrant, God-loving marriage for them. God, you do the heavy lifting. Let them surrender to you and your guidance. Thank you, Lord. It's in Jesus' name. Amen.